Hello, you're listening to No Such Word Is Can't with me, Hazel McBride. I was always told growing up that there was no such word as can't, and I genuinely believe that that mentality instilled a belief in me that anything was possible if I just set my mind to it. As someone who started off with a seemingly impossible dream and somehow made it my reality, I want to help more people achieve their goals by giving them actionable advice, as well as sharing stories from others who have done the same. Today, I get to sit down with someone who met me when I was just a baby intern, starting off in the Florida Keys. Welcome to the podcast, Luke Bullen. Thank you. You still look like a baby, I have to say. <laughs> That's just because this is over Zoom. You can't see all the wrinkles. Uh, the, the video quality clearly isn't good enough. Yeah, you look you look great. You look exactly the same. I wish I could say that. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so excited to sit down and chat to you. But for anyone who isn't familiar with who you are or potentially where you work, can you give yourself a little intro? Yeah, I mean, I am British bred um, and currently living in the Florida Keys, and I'm the executive director of Island Dolphin Care, which for anybody who hasn't heard of it is a small um dolphin facility and we do therapy for basically anybody that needs anything so primarily children with special needs but we also work with veterans with ptsd etc um but yeah really anything so that's me and i've been here for um say about 11 years uh, i can't remember when we first met i mean I can't remember how long I had been in the Keys when I first you, met. It, I think you really. were the newest hire. Okay. When it was that's... still Do when it was still Dolphins Plus, um, because I remember Nancy at the time um, being behind you, like kind of helping you with stuff, and I was behind Nancy, like taking notes on the sessions. Yeah, that seems like a lifetime ago to I me. Know. But um, yeah, I do. I remember it fondly. I remember you fondly, and. Um, You've obviously gone on to do such amazing things. And yeah, I mean, I'm so excited oh. to chat with you. <laughs> Stop. Yeah, um, such a wonderful part of the world, the Florida Keys. But for me, also being from the UK, I have such a special place in my heart for all UK aspiring trainers because I feel like we have it, you know, much harder than anyone who's potentially born in a country where there are cetaceans to work with in that country. So growing up in the UK, where did your passion for marine mammals come from? Oh, that's such a great question. And if I'm totally honest with you, I don't know. I was that kid, and I mean a really young kid, that was obsessed with specifically bottlenose dolphins. Mm. I don't know where I'm from. I wasn't the kid that went to SeaWorld and fell in love with them. I was the kid that had the passion first. And then my parents took me there because I had a passion. So. I remember having a book which had dolphins in. I'm pretty sure I watched Flipper a few times, but it was just always there. I was just obsessed with dolphins and my room was wallpapered. My bedding was covered in dolphins, my toys, everything. So um, I don't know where my initial passion came from, um, but I don't know if I really ever had a, this is what I want my career to be, mm. you know? It, I wanted to be around them, um, but it was just um, more of a, a passion than a, a career drive. And I knew pretty young that it was going to be a really hard journey because obviously mm. there weren't any dolphins around. Um, mm -hmm. I think I, I America for the first time in 1992 when I was about seven, if that math works out. 
but I think the last Dolphins that were in England in managed care were that was like '93 or something like that, which I don't see them. So it was never a an, an attainable dream for me. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that dream came from, and I definitely don't know how I've ended up here. It's been a long journey. Yeah. So do you remember the moment where you thought, okay, I love dolphins. And then what was the moment where you thought, hey, I could actually do this as a job? Okay, so that that's a longer story for sure. So I actually, I, I did decide pretty young, I think that this is not going to be attainable for me. You know, I wasn't that kid that was, this is what I'm going to do and nothing's going to stop me. Um, I think of myself as pretty a realist. My husband called me a pessimist, but I was my second love was horses, so I went down that route pretty quickly. Um, and even that was a struggle, honestly, because we, you know, I grew up in a family that was, you know, we had very little money. I wouldn't say we were poor, but we certainly weren't that family that had their own stable full of horses, and I could just go off and do what I wanted to do. So I was that kid that went every weekend and just worked my butt off and then maybe on the third week I might get to ride a horse you know or I might get a lesson so I kind of went down that route and um you know met people became a little bit more successful my dad has always been incredibly supportive and done everything he could support me in that way um and that's kind of where my career went until I was really in my early 20s um and everything kind of switched gear um and that's when marine mammals came out again what was the catalyst for that switch so i i mean for anybody that works with horses and has worked with marine mammals i mean both are difficult they're both physically demanding and they are both full-on you don't have much time outside of it and it's a lot of work however I would say horses are a lot harder. <laughs> I think that physically it's very demanding. Um, and the competitive side of what I was trying to do, I mean, I really was trying to get as far as I possibly could. I went and trained with an Olympic gold medalist. I started my own business and I was trying to be the best of the best. And I just don't think it was, that was just not going to be my future. Um, I was also struggling with um, an eating disorder for a while um, and depression. And my mom at the same time was going through something very similar. And everything kind of came to a point where I decided, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I need to have a break. Mm -hmm. And when you spend such a long time building a career and getting yourself to that point of you know, I'm, I'm finally doing it and I'm finally making it to make the decision of, I need to stop for a while. It's kind of a, you either stop or you keep going. And I was mm. like, I need, I need to stop and I need to take care of myself for a while. So I took the best part of, I would say a year off, um, working with animals altogether, tried to go back. And it was a similar kind of situation where I just had too many things with myself that I need to look after and it was just too much of a demanding job and I wasn't this wasn't kind of getting myself to where I wanted to be mm. then had a 
crazy change. So basically, I sold my business. We sold all of my horses. Um, again, my dad was like this um, support block for me. Uh, I know you're really close with your mom in that respect. You know, he, he was just like, whatever you need, just do it. Um, and I had this wild idea, oh, I'll be a flight attendant. Okay. Well, that was a catastrophe. Um, I did the training, um, got the job, and someone found out they had a tattoo um, on my down the side of my hand. Very small, but completely unacceptable. And either you work in the office or you got to go. So I'm kind of back in this, what have I done? I've got rid of this whole career, which I spent my whole life building and fighting for. What on earth am I going to do with my life? And my dad said to me, well, what is it you actually want to do? If, if somebody could just remove all variables, if you could do anything, what would you do with your life? Um, and I, I certainly don't remember saying dolphin trainer, but I definitely talked about dolphins. And he said, well, why don't you, why don't you do it? Why don't you do something with dolphins? Which I thought, well, this is super unhelpful. Uh, what exactly am I going to be doing with dolphins? I'm 24 years old and living in the middle of London. What exactly am I going to do? Um, and I was familiar with Dolphins Plus, which is where we met, um, because I had visited multiple times as a kid and swam um, in a program that they had called the Natural Swim, where you basically have a fin and masks and you get in a free swim with the dolphins. Um, and I just reached out to them and I was like, you know, do you have any, um, I, I was not even familiar with internships at this point. I mean, I was so in, engrossed in the whole world that everything else around me was completely, I was naive to it. Um, anyway, they told me about the internship. I applied, got the position, and then that's kind of the rest is history. I've never looked back. I think it's so wonderful as well, because I think there's this really big rhetoric within the world of you have to get started super young you know especially for aspiring trainers it almost feels like a race to get experience you know like oh you need to be 19 and done your first internship and all of your summers through university you're never going to get a job and you know in my personal experience you know I did start quite young and I did kind of the traditional route but from talking to so many other trainers who have been so successful and started later I think it's so valuable to tell people that hey it's okay if you get started a little bit later. Did you feel coming in at 24 that you were at a bit of a disadvantage and you had some catching up to do? Or do you feel like, oh my God, this is what I was meant to be doing, here I am? Um, a little bit of both. I definitely, I mean, the insecurities were out of control. I, I really, at that time, I definitely felt like I was way behind the game. Mm -hmm. um, having said that, I've always felt like that with every aspect of my career and every aspect of my life I always feel like I'm a little bit behind where I should be um so I definitely came into it thinking oh god I'm probably not going to be here and how nice of them to allow me to come <laughs> um and also thinking wow how old am I at 24 years of age um having said that once I started I think that my group where everybody was doing their first internship and everybody was relatively, you know, new and naive to the industry. And I think whether or not you've had 10 years of experience with animals or no experience with animals, as soon as you start within a new field, like marine mammals were new to me, it was 
everything was brand new, but that was okay. And I think that's what I fell in love with straight away was the type of people that I was working with. It was okay that you didn't know. We want to teach you as long as you've got the right attitude, you want to be here and you love what you're doing. They were happy to do that. And I hadn't experienced that kind of um, culture, you know, with, with horses for sure. And definitely not for a lot, many years. How important do you think it is to have that environment at work? I think especially in an industry or in a job where everyone is so passionate about it and it it really does become internalized within trainers of this, this is part of my identity and part of who I am. How important is it to have those people around you that are willing to nurture you and, and help you to succeed? I mean, in all honesty, Hazel, I think it's everything. Um, I definitely had the... You know, I felt very lucky at the time when I moved over here and I kind of had a somewhat changing career and was trying something new. But honestly, without the support of the people that were here and that were welcoming and were willing to, not just willing to, genuinely seem to want to nurture me and teach me and sit down with me and show me different things. I don't think without, without that, I certainly wouldn't be where I am today. And that kind of carried on for many years you know past my internship and certainly even now I think the people that are around you kind of define your ability to progress um so yeah I think it's everything for sure and how big of a role did that play on you deciding to stay on as a trainer there um so I was incredibly lucky that I got offered a position that my first internship very very lucky however being British <laughs> that was you know as you touched on before is not an easy process um so I was never really fully able to enjoy it it was always a oh that's great that I've just had an offer now how do I make this a reality yeah yeah definitely I mean I completely get you with with all of that but you know against all odds you did make it happen and you know you became a dolphin trainer in the Florida Keys um I know that you spoke about how important it was to have the support you know especially of your dad um how how did he feel when you finally were like hey this is what I'm doing and I'm having a great time I (laughs) I think he was like thank god you know because (laughs) The run up to that, honestly, I mean, I kind of play it down a little bit, but I, re- I really had got myself into my mental mental health was pretty low at that time when I first moved over there. Um, and I think for him, it was a, you know, you're waking up every morning, you're happy and you're doing something which you're passionate about again, and you're clearly in a good headspace. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually in a long-term relationship at the time as well. And it was... You know, I kind of got to the point where I had to decide which way, which one am I going to do? Um, and obviously I chose my career, which was really difficult. Um, but, you know, I'm one of those people, I think, and I've looked at these years that it's part of um, something I need to kind of fulfill myself. Um, so no regrets there. And, you know, I met, I met my husband now and we're so happy together and that's all great but you know there's definitely hard decisions that had to be made along the way to get there um so yeah I think family have all been all my family have been very supportive um but as soon as you kind of cross that barrier and you 
you know, you leave England and you, you're in America, you are kind of alone. Mm -hmm. um, you need a lot of support to, to make it happen. And you've got to be willing to get creative and you've got to push. Um, I certainly wasn't in a position where I could just, oh, someone's offered me a job. Here I am. Great. Mm -hmm. It's done. Um, you know, I had to really think creatively about how I could make that work. And part of that was going to school. You know, I had to go back to school. First moved over here. Um, I am not somebody that loves um, love school. Um, most of what I'd done did not transfer over. So there was, you know, there's a big journey with that. But it was all stuff that, you know, I knew that's where I wanted to go. And there yeah. was no compromise. I wasn't. Um, I wasn't in a position where I was like, mm, do you know what? It's going to be really hard. I'll just go back home and try something else. I think yeah. I hit that point. Wow, I finally found where I feel like I'm meant to be doing what I'm meant to do. And I'm going to make this happen, whatever it takes. It definitely takes a lot of mental resilience. And I actually remember because obviously you being from the UK and you were kind of going through that process while I was interning. So I was obviously like, tell me your ways like what yeah. and I just remember you explaining it to me and me going oh my god this sounds horrific maybe I'll look for a different way <laughs> to make right. this happen for me because I'm not liking uh, the sound of all of this paperwork but you know you you did it you made it happen was there a moment where you were ever worried about those mental health struggles coming back because you know this industry obviously it's very demanding it's very physical as well was there ever a moment where you thought, oh, this is concerning? Part of my, uh, you know, I had like major eating disorders for years. And honestly, back when it was at its worst, I never thought that I would ever live without it. I just thought mm -hmm. it was just part of me and it's something that I would have to learn to live with. Mm -hmm. uh, and still to this day, it kind of blows my mind that I pushed out of it. Mm -hmm. um, but... I think the only times that I've had fears of it coming back is fear of not having this job or this career. Mm. That to this day makes me nervous. You know, it's, um, I probably lean on it and I'm probably almost overly dedicated to a degree where, yes, if it was ripped away for whatever reason, which we all know can happen tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I, how I would deal with that I'm not sure I think I'm in a better place but it's always a concern um and it definitely you know it has become I really believe it's part of like the healing process for me is having something that you know to get up every day and get out and feel comfortable in an environment that I was passionate about and good at that was you know part of the healing process and I was Felt like I was nearly there when I moved over here, but definitely the career itself has helped me. So that's the only time I would say mm, I would be nervous. And what was if it I'm... like then leaving your internship, becoming a trainer and starting at that point, you were doing Dolphin Interaction programs when it was Dolphins Plus. Yeah. What was that like learning all of that and having to take guests in the water with dolphins? What was all of that like? Oh, it was so much fun. I mean, just like the best times. I, it seems like 
again, like a distant memory. Like I can barely remember training. I can barely remember, you know, everything that went on during the time, but I just remember having a great time. Um, but again, just kind of always feeling fearful that, oh God, what if this is like ripped away tomorrow? Yeah. Just because the immigration process is, I mean, for anyone that's been through it, it is tedious beyond and you just never know ultimately your future and your career is in the hands of somebody that can say um yeah sure or no thanks mm -hmm. you know and you're always living with this it's not a it's not a given mm -hmm. um all the way at any moment so I think I always had a little bit of that reluctance to really enjoy what I was doing because I was nervous that it was going to last a very short amount of time and mm -hmm. it's honestly I'm amazed that um I'm kind of I'm here and I'm doing it um and still loving it but it's made me appreciate it more I think for having to fight you know yeah. fight. well I mean it did work out you've been there a decade now and you know we spoke about this before we started recording you know I think it's commendable that you have found somewhere that you love enough and feel comfortable enough to want to stay because I feel like that is so uncommon in our industry. So can you share with everyone your secret? <laughs> uh, I, there's a secret. Um, I mean, one thing that I'd mentioned to you before we started recording is that I, I am definitely a homebody. And I think, again, you know, come, like where, when I worked with horses, I did it for a very long period of time. It wasn't like a five minute thing. I spent mm. years and years is kind of perfecting my craft and getting it to a point where getting myself to a point where this is where I want to be this is how I want to do it this is how I want to run my business um and I think when you when I put in that much time to something I'm nervous to leave it and try something new because I always have that like well what if I'm not good at the next thing I do or mm -hmm. what if not um what if I don't gel with the people in the same way that I do if I move? And honestly, I'm the opposite way. I mean, I commend people that do have the the gumption to get up and move and try different and go somewhere different. I think it's amazing. And um, I think part of my not leaving um, and moving on, not that I don't adore it because I do. I mean, it is my world, but you know, there is a degree of fear as well that mm. if I make a mistake and what if that is not, what I would hope it would be. Um, I think the only thing that would have tempted me out probably would have been killer whales, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, but it just wasn't my my path. And I think that I've had enough opportunities along the way that in terms of growth, mm -hmm. that I, I've never felt like I've been stagnant or I've just done the same job for 10 years. And it, in fact, I would say every year I felt like I've progressed or moved on or developed. So I think that that's important, you know, and I try as hard as I can with my staff now to ensure that they are feeling and, um, and that they are developing constantly because I think it's that stagnant. I'm doing the same thing every day that people get bored with and want to leave. Yeah, I think personal development and growth is so important in this job. I think a lot of places put a lot of emphasis on, you know, we have to train you up so that you can, you know, do the job itself, that you can be, you know, use a useful helper, helper as part of the team. 
And most often you kind of get to a point, you know, whether it's before a promotion or a different um, placement, that you are a little bit stagnant and you're kind of left there. And I think that's when a lot of people start searching elsewhere. On top of that, I also feel, and something that's quite surprising to a lot of people, that in quite a few different departments or different facilities, there's this recurrent theme of toxic work environment that kind of gets bandied back and forth. Um, And it's always surprised me, you know, I've experienced it personally in the past, that this is an industry we're all so passionate about. And it's a dream job for almost all of us. So why do we treat each other this way? And you being now in a position of leadership, how do you manage to not have that where you are? So, oh God, such a, that is a loaded question. It really is. I'm sorry to uh, give it to you. (laughs) I I love it. And actually it's something I'm really passionate about. Um, I don't know I have, if I have the answer to that, although I've had, I've actually been in management for quite a long time now. Um, and I've had periods of time where I felt like at least that there is this um, overwhelming calm, happiness, um, support with each other. Um, but I feel like the time I managed, I really felt like I had that was when I had a team that I basically handpicked one by one and worked with everybody one by one and we were all like a family when you i've the struggles i've had is when i've been a supervisor and then i'm working with staff that have been there for many many years and then they have these well it used to be this way this is Mm. the challenge new staff coming in and um people that maybe gel with um a certain manager but don't gel with the rest of the group um i think ultimately it's a it's a it can be a very young industry you know a lot of like we talked about earlier i mean i felt old at 24 but i felt like i'd had a lot of you know work experience when i started i might not have had a lot of the dolphins but i'd had a lot of work experience there was so many new trainers that were starting at the same time that had never they'd never even worked at a supermarket or, you know, a gas station. So I think the competitive aspect of the industry is that can be one of the big poisons. Um, I think, I, I think that there's such, there is a, a limited amount of growth you know, it is a small industry and every park and every aquarium or zoo, whatever it is, there are a limited amount of positions. And I think that trying to get the balance between what's fair for people um, versus who is right for a position. Mm. Cool. Um, and that can cause friction really quickly. Um, and trying that at bay, I mean, ultimately, particularly the marine mammal, Field, I feel like you get a lot of type A personalities. Um, really? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I just don't know that it will ever not be a thing. I think it's something that, you know, I'm always striving for for my staff. I know that they're always striving for themselves and the facilities, you know, whether it's Dolphins Plus or Island Dolphin Care, wherever it is, that's always the goal. And they're definitely, the majority of the time, 
yeah, it's great, but I don't know if you can completely eliminate that um, competitive nature of the job and um, those big personalities and that, mm -hmm. you know, the go on. Um, I also think that people throw around that terminology like toxic work environment, except a little bit too much from at least the experience I've had. Um, I know some people experience things which is a lot more extreme. Mm -hmm. uh, I've certainly heard people, a lot of the problems that get brought to me, for me, are pretty minor. You know, it's very much, um, I can remember feeling that way. I can remember why I felt that way. And I know now how ridiculous that was and how um, unnecessary it was and how I felt that way because I thought somebody else felt this way, but it really wasn't a thing. Yeah. So, you know, ultimately that's kind of the experience I have with it. Um, but yeah, I do think you get, just like any industry though, I think, it can be bigger and it can be nastier and it can be worse but i don't know personally if it is a field specific thing other than the competitive nature of what we do i think also because it's such a small field you probably hear a lot more about it than maybe other industries do or it seems like it's more prevalent because there's so many fewer departments or facilities that you can work at but i think one of the things that you said really stands out to me was how self-reflective you were when you were thinking about your leadership style. And I think that that's the key to any leader who wants to try and have a good work environment for the people under them is to be self-aware and to really be able to look into themselves and say, okay, well, it starts with me, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And I try to do that as much as I can. I think anybody whether it's leadership or not, you know, to hold your hand up and say, do you know what? I'm not perfect all the time, or I made a mistake, or I'm there myself, and I know what that feels like. But I, I mean, I think that that's great for anybody, and it's it helps you yourself, you know? So Yeah, and yeah. even having some empathy and understanding, you know, I'm extremely lucky to be able to coach some aspiring trainers, some who are in entry-level roles, and whenever they talk to me about some grievances that they have, I'm always the first also to empathize, but to remind them that senior trainers and supervisors and managers have a hell of a lot on their plate as well. So if their tempers are slightly frayed or they're slightly frustrated, there is a reason for it. And that reason is not always because of them. So I think open communication and a little bit of self-awareness goes a long way. Yeah, and I think as a manager as well, being able to walk out and apologize and say, yes. you know, I was totally out of line yesterday. Mm -hmm. that you can be at any level and make a mistake. And I think apologizing is not necessarily a weakness. I don't think it shows weakness. I think it's important. But we also work with large mammals. You know, we're working in an environment that can become dangerous, you know, and me speaking specifically from working with killer whales, sometimes it's necessary to shout. If someone is getting too close to a line that they're not supposed to cross because they're an entry level or they don't have their wetsuit zipped up and they've forgotten or it's just a minor thing, it would then be the senior trainer's job to yell across the pool and say, get behind that line. You don't have time for please or thank you, you know, right. and yes, that might come out harsh 
but there's a reason for it. And yes, you can take the time afterwards to go up and say, hey, look, this is why I spoke to you that way. I, we just I, need to be more mindful. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And you're dead right. I think it's those moments where sometimes you do have to be a certain way. But, you know, post-conversation is important too. If you know me at all, then you will know that I absolutely love fantasy fiction. Do you know what I love even more than that? Being able to find stunning and subtle pieces of jewellery or clothing that reflect that. So Beautifully Broken is a small business run by Terry, and she makes one-of-a-kind pieces that tell a story. Just as the books we love inspire us, Terry aims to create wearable words that motivate you. Visit SoBeautifullyBroken.com or visit the links in the description to shop. So you eventually moved on. You're still doing dolphin interaction programs. You're just doing it for a different purpose. So can you explain a little bit about, or a little bit more in depth about the purpose of Island Dolphin Care? So there's, there's always such a difficult um, conversation to have is describing what we do at Island Dolphin Care. Um, I spend a lot of time nowadays working with you know, donors and people that want to, or people that want to bring their families there and like, tell me about it. And it's one of those things that I wanted to say, can you just come and watch? Just come and <laughs> just watch the session, just come and sit down and see what we do. Um, because it is so, so unique from anything I've ever seen and so different. Um, so we have multiple programs. Our, biggest program, the one that we kind of push the hardest because it's really the most successful is our five day program where really any kind of special need, this might be someone with autism, Asperger's, I mean, somebody that's missing limbs, somebody was born with you know, epilepsy, anything. Um, they'll send an application, the therapist will re review it, and then the family or individual will come for a five day period and work with us in the classroom and then in water sessions as well. Um, and every single program is completely different based on what that person's needs are. Um, we also work with veterans, um, not necessarily specifically with PTSD, but that's common for us. Um, but again, just anybody that has anything they need some help with, that's what we're there to do. I think it's really interesting how in the beginning of your own journey, you spoke about this inherent connection that you had with dolphins and you didn't know why it was just there within you. And I think that that is so prevalent within so many humans that we do feel this affinity towards dolphins for reasons that we can't even really explain sometimes. And I think that's mirrored in what you guys do at Island Dolphin Care in that you have all of these different people with their own different problems and from different walks of life that come in and are exposed not only to the therapy in the classroom, but also to the dolphins. And it ends up making a difference. 100%. I think everybody, you know, we're very conscious of the fact that everybody comes through our doors is completely different than from a different walk of life. Um, some people have been part of other therapy programs before and not had success. Some people have had success and, and we almost feel like we're there proving a point. It's very mm -hmm. difficult. It's a difficult um, thing to kind of put it in a box and everybody's experience with us, I think is completely unique and different. 
Um, but I can say out of everything I've ever done in my life, it's by far the most rewarding. Um, mm. Not one week that goes by that I don't leave work where I've at some point had a tear in my eye or something has happened where I'm like, wow, that, that is not how I thought that was going to go. That yeah. you know, has made a difference to somebody. And it's not always the, you know, the individual client themselves. Sometimes it's a family member. Mm. Um, we recently had a that came down um, and they're from Ohio, came down for a week and super tight family. At the end of the week, the mom came up to me, she gave me a hug and she was like, I'm moving. I was like, what do you mean you're moving? She was like, I'm moving down to Florida. We've already started looking. We need to be doing this every day. This is the Aww. best thing that's ever. There's things like that. You know, you're like, wow, this is making a big difference in people's lives. Yeah. Now, that might not have been, for that little girl, it might not have been the most impactful therapy she'd ever had, but her family were certainly experiencing and seeing things in her that were huge changes. So, yeah. you know, I'm so proud of the program. I'm so proud of what we do. The therapists that we have, I mean, we're really lucky. It's a very, very small team in, in general, but we, we have three therapists, one of which has been there for 16 years. He's absolutely incredible. Um, and they all work very tightly together and can identify who's going to be best suited to working with which family, which animal, which staff member, which trainer. And, you know, there's so many variables and different dynamics that we can move around to make something unique for each person that comes through the doors. And what kind of challenges does that present training wise? Like as a trainer with the dolphins, you know, you guys are going to be in the water with lots of different people using, I remember watching sessions, you guys use like different types of um, sensory stimuli for, for the people, not just for the animals. So what, what kind of challenges does that present for training? Can't control everything that these animals are doing 100% of the time. You are working together and you have to be so in tuned to their behavior and know who's going to be best suited with working with who on what day. And those decisions are so important. I would say biggest challenges. First of all, the people we're working with are very delicate a lot of mm -hmm. the time, big animals. Um, so, you know, if you're working in a show atmosphere and you send for the V-spin and they offer a front flip, okay, it's not the end of the world. Um, you have a client in the water and you send for a kiss and they offer a splash, that could be a big problem for somebody that has sensory issues. Mm. Um, you might have somebody that um, is triggered by loud noises <laughs> and you've got a very vocal. So all aspects of picking which animal works with which client which um time of the day that you're working which therapist is going to be best suited mm. to which client are they best suited to that animal as well it's like a dance all the time which you feel like eventually you're going to have this magic which you're going to know exactly okay this type of person comes in or 
this client's always going to work well with this type of dolphin and this therapist is always going to work. It just doesn't work like that. It's every single week is completely different and you're constantly having to think and make sure you're making the right decision because it might be the difference between somebody having a completely life-changing experience. And we're not talking about somebody, you know, being super happy because they just had their engagement photo. We're talking yeah. about somebody with their mom for their first time ever mm-hmm. using eye contact or their voice you know yeah. so a lot of um responsibility with it and I certainly put a lot of myself and you know, the therapist put a lot of their themselves um and then the training team you know there's just such a big responsibility that you know your animals are always in this like number one perfect mode you know and they, they've got to be on it pretty much all the time um and training wise i think i mean i love running interaction programs you know with members of the public because it's high energy it's fun and people are there to have a great time and the dolphins love it the people love it with these kids sometimes you know it has to be very calm and mm. the incredibly patient and they also have to be very, very gentle. Um, and then they might have to pick up the pace rapidly, you know, two seconds later. So they have to be on their A game all the time. And we're lucky that the animals that we have in our population are, I mean, I know everyone says this about their populations, but they are outstandingly incredible. And I don't know whether it's genetic, I don't know whether it's our training, I don't know what it is, but they are so, incredible at what they do um I would agree that like I have met and I'm not afraid to say I've met some really dumb dolphins in my time (laughs) we all have dolphins that you will ask them for a rollover and they will wave or you will ask them for something very complicated and they will just stare at you you know again as humans some humans are smarter than others some dolphins are smarter than others I've also met dolphins who are terrified of socks if a guest has socks on (laughs) yes if a guest has socks on they will not go anywhere near that guest so yeah yeah, of course having someone in the water who's potentially missing a limb you know that's that's a very different physical structure to a typical person that they might see uh, or someone who's maybe not got full control over their body movements who could be very unpredictable in the water might be difficult for a dolphin as well so I completely respect what you guys do with being able to train these animals to get them to a point where they can interact with so many diverse types of people with different special needs 100% and again it's not always slow you know it's not always patience they do have to shift gears sometimes and mm-hmm. but what makes it it makes it fun And what about trainers? Does it take a certain type of trainer to be able to, I feel like you would need more, better people skills than others, no? I'm the first person to admit, I'm an, I'm not an interaction trainer. I'm a show, I'm I'm a show trainer. (laughs) (laughs) I would definitely say that it takes a certain type of person. And I'm sure that my um, interviewing techniques are probably quite bizarre. You know, if I was to look at them, I'd review them. You know, I'm interested in how people have, you know, about kind of like how we've talked today, like about people's past, about their history, what they've been around and their, you know, before they did this job. I 
everything kind of leads you to where you're going. And absolutely, you can have the best dolphin trainer in the world who you give them a set of behaviors and they're going to check it off and get 15 aerials trained. But we're going to need a little bit more than that. You mm -hmm. have to be um, put yourself in the situation of somebody that you might have no experience with. We have veterans that come, for instance, and, you know, I'll sling a dolphin toy on the back of the dock and it makes a huge bang. I don't, that doesn't trigger me at all. I don't think about that. But to them, that could trigger a huge change in emotion and a huge change in behavior and really affect the, their experience. Yeah. Uh, so when you have a team of maybe five or six people that are all out around the lagoon doing the same thing at the same time, they have to be able to be conscious of all those little nuances. Um, and that's just, that's just one example. You know, somebody that can't see and has never seen anything before, how do you relate to their experience and what they're experiencing in the water and the things that you're saying? Um, I mean, I know that <laughs> I've told you about 50 times throughout this podcast, oh, please stop, I've just said something totally. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> you know, we all kind of experience that every day. We have to be very careful because somebody's life, how they're living their life and the things that they experience around them, it is really hard to relate to that because you're so far removed, but you're doing your best to put yourself in that situation and then expecting your animals to also get on the same page and just get it. And that's where... I mean, dolphins are amazing because if they want to, they can, you know, not in any kind of, you know, I'm echolocating and seeing something that you hope I see. They just know because you work together every day and they know that, okay, now it's calm time, you know, or now we've got to be quiet. Yeah. Relationship yeah. must play a massive part in it. Is there a particular dolphin there that you feel that you have that with? Um, I'm not allowed to have favorites anymore, <laughs> but absolutely. The only thing I'll say is, I mean, work, you know, being the director of Island Dolphin Care now, I have worked with these animals before as a trainer, and I've also had long periods away from them. I think that I always had that oh, I haven't seen it for years. If I go back, it's going to be the same thing. Mm. And it wasn't. Um, definitely noticed changes in the animals and there was definitely then a shift in relationship. So, you know, but I think when you have those animals who you connect with and are special to you for whatever reason, I don't know if that ever really goes away. So no. I guess the question is, yes, am I going to answer it? No, <laughs> I respect that. I respect that. And I think you make a good point as well. You know, you see very anthropomorphic videos, you know, on TikTok or whatever, of people like dogs meeting their owners after 10 years or whatever. And I get asked the question a lot, you know, are you going to go back to Marineland? Like, will Wiki recognize you? And you know, I think, yeah, she'll recognize me, but my relationship with her would not be what it was when I left. You know, you can't just go away for an extended period of time and come back and think, oh my God, everything's going to be exactly as it was because 
you know, years or months have passed, you know, you've changed and your animals changed and the situation that you're both in has changed too. So, you know, I think, I think that's something that isn't spoken about really enough. Yeah. And I think it's not like to me now, I kind of see my role as a little bit different, but I, I totally agree with what you just said. And I living in America now, my family being back home, I mean, I think about them as being, you know, uh, my family having the same relationships with me mm. that I live close mm-hmm. to them. When they come over to visit, I mean, ultimately, of course, we adore each other and of course we're close, but there is a change in your relationship. And that happens with animals too. It definitely mm-hmm. does. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't, um, you know, I don't think I was at a point in my career where I was massively disappointed, but... I mean, at the same time, I def- there were definitely animals which I think recognized me 100%, like you said. <laughs> like the killer whale that you worked with, you know whether or not that animal's going to recognize you, and you know if or they don't. Um, but it might not be necessarily what you're expecting because, you know, we move on. I'm sure they do too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, everything that you've shared with us today, you know, from you just starting out, going through your career to to where you've ended up succeeding at now, if you could give any piece of advice to anyone at any, I'm going to say anyone at any stage in their career, because you've really opened up and spoken about so many different points in yours, what advice would you give them? I think... And this sounds really basic and a little bit tripe, but don't give up. If you want it, you've got to, you can do it, but you're going to have to push. You're going to have to push hard and get creative because kind of what you mentioned earlier, you know, there's not necessarily one way to get anywhere. Um, And I think sometimes you've got to think outside the box. Um, And don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, lean on the people. When people offer you help, take it. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think there is also something to be said about being a realist as well. I think sometimes you have to look at, you know, if everyone says, and I love the premise of this podcast, that basically, you know, if you want something, go and get it. But if you want a hundred things, sometimes you have to look at that and sacrifice and say, I'm going to get 95% of the thing I want. And I'm going to have to make a sacrifice here and there because you can't have absolutely everything. If you want that one thing more than anything, then look at maybe where you, you're going to have to cut something. And that is something I've definitely had to do. I've definitely had to make sacrifices along the way. I know I'll have to do it in the future. Um, but I feel whole, you know, with my career and my life. Like, I feel like I have everything I want. Um, but it wasn't without, you know, having to make a few choices. Definitely. Well, Luke, thank you so much for coming on, for sharing all of your advice and your experiences and your wisdom. And I'm sure that people will be extremely interested in IDC. And if they are, they can check out all of the links and everything in the description. But thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this week's episode, then please don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe, and I will catch you guys next week.